The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his, at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. For those who are visiting, my name is Paul. I'm one of the team members here. It's a joy to worship with you this morning as we continue in our series on the parables of Jesus. And before we dive into God's word, would you bow your heads with me as I begin with a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin by asking you this question. How are you at heeding advice? How are you at heeding advice? A couple of years ago, I came across the following ridiculous story as relayed by journalist David Williams. A Colorado rescue team has some simple advice for lost hikers or anyone else who might find themselves stranded in the mountains. Answer your phone. Answer your phone. Lake County Search and Rescue out of Colorado says it got a report last week, that is in October 2021, that a hiker hadn't returned from a hike on Mount Elbert, pictured here. The hiker had set out at 9 a.m. on October 18th and wasn't back by 8 p.m. that evening. Rescuers tried to call the person's phone several times, but were not able to reach the hiker. Additionally, team members looked for the hiker in areas where people tend to get lost, but eventually they gave up their search at 3 a.m. A three-person search team then checked another area of the mountain at 7 a.m. the next day. 
Finally, Lake County SNR, Search and Rescue, got a call about 9.30 a.m. on October 19th, the day after the person had gone missing, informing them that the hiker, who was not publicly identified, had returned to where they were staying. Evidently, the hiker had no idea that rescuers were even looking for them, even though the person had wandered this large mountain all alone all night, thus triggering the search and rescue. Now, here's the, here's the best part of the story. As posted on their official Facebook page, Lake County Search and Rescue said, quote, one notable takeaway is that the subject ignored repeated phone calls from us because they did not recognize the number. <laughs> if you're overdue according to your itinerary and you start getting repeated phone calls from an unknown number, please answer your phone, they said. It may be search and rescue trying to make sure you're safe. It's a crazy story, right? Apparently, the person who got lost climbing Mount Elbert in Colorado, do we have any people from Colorado here today? Yes, one, okay, welcome. They got lost climbing Mount Elbert. Mount Elbert, for those who are not aware, is the highest mountain in the Rocky Mountains at 14,440 feet. This person was too stubborn to answer their phone all night because they did not recognize the phone number. Furthermore, implied in the story is the fact that the person was also too prideful to call anyone for help. Insanity, right? So let's bring it back into the room. How are you at heeding advice? How are you at asking for help? As we can continue our series in the parables of Jesus, we could have titled today's sermon, Crazy Things Jesus Said. Crazy things Jesus said. We could have. When Carly, uh, my bride, read this passage with me this week, you know what she said? She said, Paul, this is a doozy. It's a doozy. Now, I'll be honest. I have no, word, no uh, understanding, uh, no context for what this word doozy means. Maybe it's a Minnesota word. I've never used the word doozy in my whole life. I haven't. I'm sorry. But Didi, this sermon, according to Carly, is a doozy, so we're going to roll with that. And because we preach the whole counsel of God, we're going to dive into this passage and see what God would have for us, right? Now, I, I, I want to remind us what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says. We read, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Thus, we're going to allow God's word, word to pierce us to the heart. We're going to invite God to do what he would want to do with us this morning. And with that introduction, the big idea we'll see today from Matthew 7 is this. The wise person listens to the unfiltered words of Jesus, for they are a warning, not a challenge, shared in his love. The wise person listens to the unfiltered words of Jesus because uh, they are a warning, not a challenge, shared in his love. And we'll unpack this big idea through three points. Point one, see the audience of Jesus. What do I mean? We'll, we'll get into that. See the audience of Jesus. Point two, heed the warnings of Jesus. And point three, 
embrace the love of Jesus. So let's get started. Point one, see the audience. Our staff has a tradition of sitting with every week's preaching text and doing something on Tuesday mornings called Electio Divina. You ever heard of that? It's a meditation on the scriptures. So we do that together every Tuesday morning during staff meeting. And what it affords, it affords the person who is preaching that week to hear the collective and prayerful response of the team. Now with that information, can you guess what one of our team members said about this week's passage? No, she didn't pull out the word doozy. But Katie Hyman, our director of admin and communications, said that as a kid, this passage terrified her. These parables today terrified her. She said all this language of false prophets deceiving us and people saying, uh, Lord, Lord, only to discover that they're not saved, scared her. And maybe it scares you. Maybe it generates some of the following questions. Can we lose our salvation? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Or maybe you're asking, is God trustworthy or is he unpredictable and tyrannical as a leader? Or is this faith thing really about faith? Because Paul, there seems to be a lot of language around works in our passage today. Maybe you're reading today's passage with some of these questions. Well, as we like to say here at One Fellowship, there's no text without context. And so with that, if we start there and say, what's the context here in Matthew 7, we'll see actually that today's passage doesn't believe in, uh, excuse me, begin in Matthew 7. It begins where? Any nerds in the room? Matthew chapter 5. Our passage today actually begins contextually in Matthew chapter 5, and specifically in Matthew 5, we see it's there that Jesus begins what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous and longest teaching ever. Moreover, as we investigate the scriptures here, we see that Matthew 5, all of Matthew 5, all of Matthew 6, and all of Matthew 7 uh, include the Sermon on the Mount. So our passage today is the climax or the closing of Jesus's most iconic message. Are you still with me? So with that backdrop, look at how the Sermon on the Mount begins. Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Now when the, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. In other words, Jesus's immediate audience for our passage today, the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, was his disciples, his followers, his family, spiritually speaking. And with that insight, now, insight, now consider the nature of his unfiltered words or warnings. Knowing he's sharing these words with his spiritual family, are they meant to terrify us or guide us? Guide us. Are they meant to encourage us or discourage us? Encourage us. Are they shared out of love or from some other place? They're shared out of love. You see, contextually speaking, beginning in Matthew 5 and ending in our passage today, Jesus is speaking to his spiritual family, offering unfiltered warnings out of love. Now, bringing this into the room as a dad, I value Jesus's approach here. I do. 
I don't know how many times a week I share warnings with my kids, especially my daughter, Sailor Grace, but I do so all the time. Just ask her. She's in the back of the room. The world is a harsh place, one fellowship, is it not? It's a harsh place. And I often share direct warnings with my kids, not out of judgment, but out of what? Love. I do. Why? Because a caring father does that. A caring loved one does that. I don't issue stern warnings to be mean or so my kids have to prove themselves. No, I share stern warnings because my kids are my kids. Sailor, sailor, and I want the best for her. Again, why? Because I love her. Returning to our text, that's what we see in Matthew 7 from Jesus. Our text is defined, this is important, by its context, which illuminates the audience of Jesus, his spiritual family, demonstrating his heart for them. So point one, first, see the context, see the audience of Jesus. Point two, now to get into the text itself. Heed the warnings. Heed the warnings. Enter through the narrow gate, we read. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. There are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by what? Their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So friends, what is Jesus saying here? Well, out of his love, Jesus issues four warnings, back to back to back to back, two of which I just read. Jesus tells us first, there are two different kinds of gates and roads we can travel, choose wisely. Second, there are two different kinds of leaders to whom we can bend our ear and follow. Listen wisely. Third, there are two different kinds of disciples who claim to be true. Trust genuinely. And fourth, there are two different kinds of foundations on which we can stake our very lives. Build accordingly. Jesus issues these four warnings, and they're almost like cannons going off one after another, like boom, 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 boom. So we're going to quickly unpack them. First, Jesus says there are two different kinds of gates and roads we can take in life. One's narrow and difficult, and one is wide and leads to destruction. And Brandon, Jesus says, take the narrow road, for ultimately it'll lead to life. Another story. My dad was a Division I football player at Northern Illinois University in the 1960s. Nicknamed, this is such a good nickname, The Wall. Big Steve was nicknamed The Wall because of his blocking ability. My dad received a partial scholarship to NIU to stay in his home state of Illinois because he'd grown up right around the corner in a place called Waukegan, Illinois, to play football there. To put it mildly, my dad was excited. His parents were excited. However, the offer came with one condition. Here it is. My dad, as well as 27 of the 29 incoming football freshmen, my dad was told, you can only major in one thing, one subject. Do you know what that subject was? Physical education. That's what the majority of the football team uh, was told. You can only major in physical education. Why? Because it's easy. Over 
time, this condition proved difficult for my dad because he sensed the call to business after college. Consequently, after much prayer and conversations with those he loved, he made the difficult decision to change majors and invest his time into his academics. This decision ultimately cost my dad his place on the NIU football team. And he caught a lot of flack from his friends for it. But he did it anyway. You see, my dad made the hard choice, took the narrow way, so to speak. And he told me just this weekend he would do it all again. Why? Because even though it was costly at the time, it would prove very beneficial for our family over the long haul. You see, through my dad's choice, it afforded my brother and me to not only go to college, but grad school through my parents' generosity. And I don't think it's a stretch to say, I don't know if I'd be sitting here serving One Fellowship today if it weren't for my dad's difficult yet bold decision at NIU. Now, returning to our passage and Jesus' first warning, he says many take the wide gate, the wide road. Why? Well, because it's easy. It's easy to go with the flow. It's easy to live according to the world's values. It's easy to live for the short-term high. Moreover, here's the truth. You ready? The narrow path is hard. It's hard. Following Jesus, despite what some pop Christian leaders and psychologists or voices might tell you, is costly. It is hard. And yet, paradoxically, Jesus says what? Take up your cross and follow me, Bruce. He says things like, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So first warning, take the narrow path, Jesus says. It'll give you life. Second warning, be on your guard, church, against false leaders and prophets. You'll recognize them by their what? Their fruit. Note what Jesus does not say. Watch out for weird cult leaders. He doesn't say watch out for the weirdos. He also doesn't say, watch out for those dressed in demonic attire and practicing witchcraft. He does not say that. He says, be on your guard against all sorts of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. In other words, be on your guard against people professing the name of Jesus, claiming to be shepherds and passionate leaders of his kingdom, and yet whose aim it is to build their kingdom and their agenda. Watch out for them, Jesus says. So what are the warning signs of a false prophet? Well, let's let scripture interpret scripture. First Timothy chapter six tells us, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he's conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in what? Disputes and arguments over words. In other words, we're to watch out for those who steer us away from God's word rather than deeper into his word. We're to watch out for those building their own brand instead of building up the bride of Christ, the church. We're to watch out for, um, we're to look for the fruit of leaders, not by listening to their rhetoric, but by examining their lives in their historical dealings. Let's call it the fruit test or the lifestyle test. We need to see if leaders we're listening to, this is important, church right now in our country in the West. This is important. We need to see if leaders we're listening to actually cultivate godliness or waywardness. 
peace or division? Cultivate relationship or leave wounded bodies alongside the road? Be on your guard, church, against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Strong words issued out of strong love. And with that, we now turn to point three. Embrace the love of Jesus. Embrace the love of Jesus. And it's under this point, we're going to tuck the last two warnings. Returning to our passage, we read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was what? On the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man who built his, hand, his house on sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, winds blew, pounded that house, and it did what? It collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. So as Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, his most uh, famous message ever, here's what I want us to see. He gets very personal and self-revelatory. He gets personal and self-revelatory. First, note how Jesus does not say, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. This is small, but it's important. No, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you call it that, but clear as day, Jesus is signaling to his followers and everyone who will read this account that he is in fact the Kordios, the Lord, not anyone else. In fact, in Matthew's account, in Matthew's gospel, this is the first time Jesus uses the word kurios or Lord in reference to himself. And he uses it again and again and again. Why does this matter? Because the Hebrew equivalent to this word is Yahweh. I saw what you did there, Kenneth. It's Yahweh. Jesus is saying to his followers, to us, to have assurance that he is God in the flesh, the sovereign one over all creation, and you can, plus, you can place and we can place our trust in him. Second, note how Jesus talks about doing the will of the Father. Matthew, is this all about works? Try harder, do better, pull up your bootstraps? Not at all. Again, scripture interpreting scripture. John 6, Jesus says to his followers, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose one of those he's given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. Catch this. This is the will of my father that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Thus, friends, clearly hear this. The will of the father is what? To believe in the son, to trust in Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. And third, I don't know if you call it this, but what evidence does Jesus present to show that this trust exists? He says, I will announce to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. In other words, Jesus is saying that our eternal security is not based on our nationality. 
It's not based on our performance. It's not based on our heritage. It's not based on our race. It's not based on our popularity or possessions or fame. No, it's based on one thing, intimacy with him, a relationship with him. It's that simple. It's that beautiful. And it's that profound. As John 6 says, all we need to do is believe. And that's enough. Believe in Jesus. Jesus is saying, believe in me. Above all things and all people, place your trust in me. And this leads us to warning number four. And this is where we land the plane. Here we go. Jesus concludes, Frank, by saying there's two foundations on which we can build our life. The foundation of the world are his words, his love. Last story. This comes from a book called Buildings and Structures. The author Andrew Solway writes, the tallest building in our world, the Bars Khalifa in Dubai, rises more than 2,700 feet, over a half a mile tall. It has 160 floors and is twice as tall as the Empire States Building in New York City. Anyone been there? Wow, we actually have several in the room that have been there. We're all gonna go. Pack your bags to Dubai, one fellowship. It's twice as high as the Empire State Building. It's home to the world's fastest elevator, fun fact, which goes 40 miles per hour. Didi, was that you? No. <laughs> you can take the stairs. No? No to all of it. You're, you're, okay. The Burj Khalifa also hosts the world's highest outdoor observation deck at 124, uh, on the 124th floor in the world's highest swimming pool. No? On the 76th floor. Come on, Dee Dee. But the secret to the stability of this massive building is found underground. The writer continues. Before construction began to rise up, workers spent a year digging and pouring the massive foundation that supports the building. The foundation contains 58,900 cubic yards of concrete weighing more than 110,000 tons. And here's the writer's concluding remark. The building is safe because the foundation is solid. The building is safe because the foundation is solid. As we wrap up this morning's message, let me ask you, how solid is the foundation on which you've built your life? How solid is the foundation on which you're aiming to build your life? The question is not whether storms or trouble will come. They will come. The question is whether you've built your life on a thing or a person that will stand the test of time. Friends, Heartache will come. Challenges will come. Failure will come. Job change will come. Broken relationships will come. For some, divorce will come. Confusion will come. And yes, even death will come. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on 
the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because it was, its foundation was on the rock. Friends, ultimately, the invitation through today's passage is this, twofold. First, listen, if you believe in Jesus, be confident. Be confident. He will raise you up on that last day, no matter what you go through. He will see this thing through. You are totally, absolutely, fully secure in him. And he would say, stay grounded and encouraged in his word today. In humility and gratitude, stay confident in your faith. And second, if you're not secure, if you're a little shaken here in Hearing this passage today, here's the invitation. Believe. Believe. Not in yourself, not in this world, but in Jesus. Ultimately, it's not about what, but who you believe in. Jesus says, believe in me. Friends, there's no middle ground. There's no middle prophet. There's no middle disciple and there's no middle foundation. You're either all in, all out. You're either with Jesus or against him, he says in his word. All you need to do today is repent, which is a scary sounding word, but it simply means turn. Turn and believe. My grace is sufficient for you. That's what Jesus told the apostle Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. So listen, friends, no matter you, what you walked in with today, no matter who you are or are not, Jesus's invitation is clear. Believe. Believe, and in that belief, find your and rest in your security in him. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. The wise person listens to the unfiltered words of Jesus, for they're a warning, not a challenge, shared in his love. Build your life on his love today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for these parables that challenge us to uh, release who we are and what we think we need to build our lives on to trust and surrender to you. For those who walk with you and have proclaimed your name, give us a humility and confidence to stay the course. No matter what storm's brewing, you have us. We read in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from your love. And God, for those who life lives are shaken today, who have built their lives on sand, on shaky ground, would you call them to yourself so that they can believe? They can have a firm foundation. They can live for more than themselves or whatever the world says is best. Give us ears to hear, hearts to say yes, and lives to respond. We pray this for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.